Um, it's great to be with you all. And um, last week, um, you would, you would have, if you were here last week, you would have heard Bones, um, Abonga, his real name, but we call him Bones. And he um, gave the first message of the series. Um, the series is called Giants Must Fall. And um, he really posed to us a question of what is that one thing that we want to leave behind? What to, where do we want to go and what is it that we need to leave behind us? And so I hope those who were here had some time to think about that this week. Um, he explained that throughout the series, we'll be looking at the story of Exodus and the story of Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. And um, I couldn't help but think about how crazy and funny God's timing is and that he definitely has a sense of humor. Because last year, um, we did a series called Milk and Honey. And, um, you know, milk and honey is, is another word, um, way of explaining the promised land. And the people who live up here on the north coast believe that this is a promised land and that anything south of here is Egypt or the unpromised land. And on the very week that we started Milk and Honey, Sheldon and I moved back to Egypt, the wilderness. And, um, and so it was quite difficult preaching into the land of milk and honey while we had done a back move so to speak. Um, not really, but you, it's just meant to be humorous. But anyway, very funny. This time, I'm quite excited to be um, speaking about this, um, this new series, Giants Must Fall, which really is a look at the Exodus story. Because last Saturday, just the day before we started it, we moved back to the promised land. And so now I feel I can speak about this with greater authority and um, not feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm not speaking from the land of milk and honey. I'm here now. We're back, and we're so glad to be back. And... Um, yeah, we know that this is going to be um, a really incredible series that can set you up spiritually for such a strong year. So um, if you can't be here every week, please won't you catch the podcasts. And um, just before I proceed, I wanted to say, if you haven't taken one of our declarations before, there are some on the back table. So take one, stick it on your fridge. Um, you could even think about saying a little portion each morning with your breakfast with your kids or something. I'm sure they'll get all those words and understand it perfectly. Um, but the declaration is really something that just strengthens your spirit and helps you to feel a part of something that we know God has breathed on us as a community. So um, throughout the Bible, this story is used, this Israel leaving Egypt, and the teaching is used as an aid in, in so many instances in the Bible to talk to us about our spiritual journey and how it's leaving a place of slavery and moving into a promised land. And um, the, whole, the whole series is in one of many ways, each week exploring a different way of looking at this question, where are you going and what do you need to leave behind? What is that thing that you need and what is going to hold you back? And so we're looking at that through a variety of topics. And today, this week, we are calling it Giants Must Fall because we recognize that there's one thing to leave, but to get there, typically there are giants in our life that need to fall. And so today, that's what we get to explore. You see, only half of the promise was about leaving Egypt. And I think too many of us just think that just the leaving Egypt is what God wanted for us. But it wasn't. There was two parts of the promise. It's to leave Egypt and to gain the promised land. He wants to take us somewhere. His promise wasn't just to get us out of sin and to set us free and to get us in a relationship. His promise is to give us those things, but to take us somewhere. So there's a and then. So once we've got all of these things, where are we going? What is the and then? So it's really looking at this thing that it's not just about freedom, but where we are going. And that along the way, there will be giants to face. And that God has a specific strategy and wisdom for us to conquer those giants. 
So we're going to read about um, this point in the Bible where they've got to just the edge of the promised land, and um, they're about to, to go in and enter, but just before that, here's some context. So first of all, Moses had arrived back in Egypt, and he had been missing for some 40 years. Now, um, I feel ter- terribly sorry for Moses and this whole crowd, because I found this thing on, um, on Google, which it's terrible quality, but it says, look, they wanted for de- in the days of 40 years, and had they had Google Maps, you could see it, it, it need only walking have taken six days. And that's, in retrospect, quite a painful thing to discover. I'm glad they didn't know that at the time, because I don't think Mo would have survived that. But anyway, so Moses, you know, arrives and he's been floating around for 40 years. And then God had literally brought the Egyptians to their knees by sending all these plagues. Um, and eventually, Pharaoh had decided to let them go. Then they had crossed through the Red Sea, and they had gone on dry land, and we all know that the Egyptians were swallowed with the water. And now, um, then while they're in the wilderness, he just sends down bread and gives them water from rocks and all these glorious things. But now we're at the cusp of the second part of the promise, which is where they're about to enter the promised land. So they select 12 spies to scope out the land in preparation to conquer it. And the spies come back and they're all abuzz. There's 12 of them, and they're like, Let me tell you all about what we found there. So this is where we pick up the story in Numbers 13. So after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had seen what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent to us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, and here is the kind of fruit it produces. Now, I don't have the front kind of fruit it produces to show you, but apparently it was glorious, and um, it just got me to thinking about my brother-in-law who's started some crazy competition amongst the farmers. They do weird things to, um, to keep them busy. He's got some crazy pumpkin um, that they're having a pumpkin growing competition. And um, we witnessed the growth of the pumpkin shoots in one night. It grew about a meter. Am I right? Uh, across the ground. But anyway, this, this beast of a pumpkin, um, once it's got going, can gain 20 kilograms a day. You can Google this. Um, so all these farmers are like talking to their pumpkins. And I was like thinking, what's the price? Is it a million rand? No, no, no. The 20 farmers all put in a crate of beers. So they'll get all the beers. So it'll like last them a year. I'm like, you're doing all this for a pumpkin for that? And they're like, yes. You know, it's a very wise thing to do. Anyway, but in this land, there is this marvelous fruit. And basically, they come out going, wow, God wasn't tricking us. This, ma- this land is incredible. It's amazing. It's bountiful. There is, we can just see this promise in, in the land. In Numbers 13, 28, it says, but the people living there are powerful. So now they're carrying on with their report. So it's a great land. We can see that the fruit is incredible. But the people living there, let me tell you about them. They are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So now this crowd are surprised. They're surprised because they hadn't factored in that they would get there and find an established people. And um, they realized that these people aren't going to go, oh, oh, you're here. Sorry, give us a moment while we pack up and leave. Uh, these people are established. They've got towns, and the Israelites have got tents. They've got fortifications, and the Israelites are camping. 
They're big, and the Israelites are small. There are five nations in the new land, in the promised land, and the Israelites are only one nation. So they look at themselves, and they compare it to the challenge ahead of them, and they realize that they come short in every single way. They're intimidated, and they're fearful, and they are aware that they are facing giants. But why were they surprised? What had they expected? And I think it's something that we all know so well, is that expectations are crucial. Um, before having a child, even though I'd seen the haunted looks of many faces of parents, I believed that it would be different for us, and I had this expectation of our beautiful little cuddly squidge sitting on the couch with us, just watching movies, and for some weird reason, in my dream, there were marshmallows. It's like the epitome of something gentle and soft and squishy and just wonderful. We'd just eat marshmallows and watch movies, and this child would never cry. And, um, And... You know, in retrospect, I can remember those terrorized warnings from many other parents, but you just don't seem to be able to hear it. You you have this expectation, and expectations can hurt us. So um, many believers then find it surprising when they come against these these, um, oppositions, and they just had not expected it. But in 1 Peter, it says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Does that resonate with any of you, the fiery trials? Any of you? I'm sure it does. And yeah, it's, it's just saying don't be surprised. This is something that is a given in life, that we will have fiery trials. In 1 John 3, it says, don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And that's really speaking of our enemies that we must not be surprised when we have enemies. In fact, we should expect enemies, because when you stand for something, there's going to always be people who stand for something different. Why were they surprised, and why do we get surprised when we come up against these oppositions? I think it is because the leaving of Egypt looks very different to the entering of the Promised Land. You see, what happened when they left Egypt was that it was very easy for the Israelites because they weren't actually involved. They had Moses doing it all for them. So they got to kind of sit in the comfort of their homes, and um, they, they got Moses representing for them and going to Pharaoh and dealing with everything so that they could find their slavery. And every day it would be like, oh, we get to hear a report. Today it was frogs. (laughs) Today God took them down with Moses and frogs. And the next day it was fleas. And the next day it was boils. And then there was hail and locusts. And every day they just get to go, wow, look what God and Moses did. This is amazing. But now, when we're talking about entering into the promised land, which is the second part of the promise, it's not as easy. They're hoping Mo and God will take care of it. But it's not the case. Now God is saying, strap your swords to your sides. Get into a battle formation and go to war. So this is not what they had expected. They were used to somebody else partnering with God and doing the work on their behalf. And now, for the second part of the promise, they realize that there is work for them to do. So they must be sitting there going, no, please, please send Moses. It was fine when he did it all. We back him. He can do this again. So Moses took care of all of the work to get them out of it. And it's so much a replication of what we see today. We've got this promise of what Jesus did for us. So there's us as believers today. The leaving of Egypt is us taking on board what Jesus did for us, okay? And we can leave 
slavery. We can leave that awful place of Egypt. But the stepping into something else is something that Jesus won't just do for us. That is where we partner with him. So when we have that moment of accepting Jesus, we get that loving relationship from God our Father. That is ours for the taking, okay? We get to be a part of a community, and we get given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is what happens when we leave the Egypt. When I came to faith, um, it was the most mind-bogglingly real moment of my life. It was that utter download of God's love that you cannot describe. Um, and in that moment of encountering and experiencing his forgiveness for me, of just that momentary washing free of everything, I knew that his forgiveness was real because of how in an instant I could think of the people who had caused me great pain in my life and I was immediately able to forgive them. It's just like their faces came and there was forgiveness and I had a deep love for them and that was the reality of it. I'd never experienced anything like it. And then what happens for each of you, your experience of coming to Christ is very different. Um, for some of you, that is something that you're still contemplating. But what happens then is that you typically will become that mind-blowingly irritating new Christian. You know they're around us. The one who every prayer is answered. And when they go to church, it's like the word was just for them. And they'll just find themselves in the most miraculous conversations where somebody's just so ready to hear from them. You know, not like us who've been kind of in, in this for a long time where we speak to people and they look at us like we crawled out of Rockford cheese. These new believers, it's like, it just like God positions everybody around them to like bolster up their faith and that every seed that they speak on will fall into fertile ground. And wherever they go, these, these wild amens and yes, brother, and absolutely. And, um, it's, it's hard not to be irritated with these Christians because we know that after a while, it doesn't seem that miraculous to us all the time. You know, it, it's, it's in the season where we're kind of just having to get deep roots and we don't get to have that day-to-day -day hearing from God and every word in the Bible leaping out at us. It just changes. So when you put your faith in Jesus, he has already done everything for you on the cross and we just receive it. And we get catapulted into this life of being loved and forgiven and living with his spirit in us. So now the Israelites, they're confused because God is saying, go take this land, strap a sword to your side, and I'm going to be with you. But why can't you just let Moses do it? He's the man of God. Send him. And God says, no, 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 but you're the people of God. And you know, this happens so often. We all get tempted to say this. Oh, if I just go and speak to the pastor or get prayer from the pastor, it'll be okay. It'll be sorted out. I have this friend, and I know that if they just go and get prayer from the pastor or help from the pastor, it'll be sorted out. And there's absolutely a time and a place for that. But at some point, God says, it's your turn. Because we all have the same spirit within us. And so I'm not for a moment dismissing the fact that there are times to take people to spiritual leaders and people who have an extraordinary gift in a certain area. But at some time also, God's going... It's time for you to strap your sword to your side and also co-labor with me in what needs to happen here. There comes that moment where we feel sick to our stomachs because we know that there's a prompting to share our testimony and we have no idea of that moment when we co-labor with God what it's going to do in somebody else's life, of where we know that it's time to step in and serve in something or to give money that we feel that we don't have. And these things are tricky, and they're hard, and they're difficult, and they go against everything that's easy. But what's happening here is that we're growing, and we're facing the giants. And we're having to do it ourselves. We can't rely on Moses. We can't simply rely on Jesus. 
we have to co-labor and get, get that sword strapped to us and go. So there is a fight that God invites us into. And we get to believe that he will actually be with us as we go into that fight. You see, the Israelites had seen that there was something good, but it was just out of their reach. There was an obstacle between them and this incredible promised land. And I think in all of our lives, we see the promised land, and we have this this moment where we kind of feel it's unattainable for us. There's something standing in the way between us and the promised land. It could be a sin habit. It could be a faith step that is just too great for us. It could be some disappointment. It could be that you have taken faith steps and not seen anything happen, that, that whatever you wanted to happen previously didn't come through. And so maybe you get to a point where you just reckon, I think that's for other people. I don't think I was ever meant to inherit that. It's for somebody who's better, somebody who's braver, somebody who's got better faith or stronger, or somebody who was set up differently or has a different background. And so we start to disqualify ourselves and get hopeless. But I know that each and every one of us have been surprised by opposition. And we have this moment where we go, I thought Jesus loved me, but why is it that I'm struggling with sin, or facing depression, or just not breaking through financially, struggling for purpose, really feeling like I'm not hearing God? If you love me so much, Jesus, why is it that these things are just simply not falling into place? And you have thoughts like, God, we hear about how victorious you are, and we stand in this victory. Why can't you just give it to us? Why do you require that we put these swords on our sides? Why is it that it has to be difficult to go in and take that promised land? Why are there even giants here? I was really expecting an empty land that I could walk into and just receive. I was expecting the ease that we had when we left Egypt. So in Ephesians, we get to hear a little bit of what is really going on. And we know that there is an unseen war raging. And we have to be mindful of this. We have to know that it's not just what we see, that there is something deeper going on behind everything. There is an enemy who wants things to go one way, and there is God who wants it to go another. And we have to know that the enemy is behind every giant that we face. So in Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So why does God ask us to get involved? Because... The first time those Israelites stepped into the fight and strapped their swords on, they changed from simply being ex-slaves, and they became people with authority and with power and with destiny. Because if all we're doing is leaving the old life and not armoring up and going into the new thing, we will only be ex-something. We will only ever be the thing that God saved us from, the ex sinner, the ex-gossip, the ex-liar, the ex-fraudster, the ex-addict, the ex-victim. He has so much more for us than simply being an ex. He wants us to step into destiny and inheritance, and for that we have to armor up. He doesn't want us walking around as people intimidated. He needs us to confront the demons of our past 
and face the fears of our future. So, he doesn't want ex-slaves, he wants fierce warriors and mighty conquerors. We're not just forgiven sinners, we are children of the king, and there is so much that he has for us. So, the next part of the story is what I absolutely love. Picking up in numbers again, what we see is that out of these 12 spies going into the land, there are two distinct groups of people. Okay, it says here in verse 30, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt as small as grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So even when the giants looked at us, they thought we were like grasshoppers. And then in Numbers 14, it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in the battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted amongst themselves, let us choose a new leader to take us back to Egypt. I mean, that's completely profound. They're actually considering going back into crushing slavery and oppression rather than armoring up and trusting their God, who they have seen do incredible things through. So then in Numbers 14, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing, they said to all the people, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land rich, it is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. So there's two things I just want to pull out of here. The first is this. Who do we listen to when we get a count of where we're going? Because there were two spies who saw something very different to what the ten did. And we as believers get to choose to hear which voices we listen to. Whose report will we hear? The second thing is that how could 12 people walk into a situation and 10 of them see the impossibility of the situation and two, see the possibility. There is a saying that says, um, seeing is believing. Okay? And that is a very unfaithful saying. Because it means, when I see it, I'll believe it. What we should as believers be saying is that believing is seeing. Because what we believe is what we will see. And that's what these two spies saw. They believed in a God they, they believed in his victory. They believed that he was huge and that the giants were just grasshoppers compared to him. And what they believed is what shaped what they saw. So the giants, I mean, the, the ten spies came out quivering little wrecks because they were comparing themselves to the giants. The two were comparing the giants to their God and that's what each of us need to do. We can't look at our giants and compare them to ourselves. 
We have to look at the giants and compare them to the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. So today I want you to think about where is it that you're thinking about your giants like the ten, where you're going, what I see is what I believe. When I look at the headlines, that is what I believe. And where is it that you need to learn to look at your giants like the two and to go, you are nothing compared to the God that I serve. For some of us, our giants are the fear of finances and not having enough. For some of us, it's that we know deep down that we've got a calling to share our faith and we're terrified of doing that. For some of us, it's about a fear of facing the thing that that happened to us as a kid or something traumatic that has happened that we just don't want to face because we're too scared of how painful it's going to be. For some of us, it's confronting a person. For some, it's forgiving a person. For some, it's a fear of being single. For some, it's a fear of staying married. You see, the Israelites could still hear the sounds of whips in their past. And they were saying, if we have a choice of the whips or the swords cutting us in half, we'd rather go for the whips, because that's familiar. We know what it felt like to be slaves and under oppression. And it's a little bit less scary than this thing that we have to face. And that's the thing that we have to remember, is that in Jesus, we have everything that we need to survive. We have his love, we have his Holy Spirit, we have his freedom, and we can survive. And that would just be the first part of the promise. But the second part of the promise, where he wants to take us, is where we learn to thrive, not simply to survive. That's where we have to face those giants, pull down the things that are keeping us in slavery, and learn how to live a life of thriving. We're not simply forgiven sinners. There's an abundance that he has for us, and that abundance is not the world's abundance. It is a freedom of not being held down by the slaves or the, the chains of captivity. So in Galatians 3... It says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by, enjoy, by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I'll ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. Remember, it's not about seeing is believing. It's about what you believe is what you will see. The key to our inheritance is not to be found in obeying the rules. The key to our inheritance is what we believe about Jesus and what it is that he achieved in our lives. I know that we all have giants to face this year. Each and every one of us have something that needs to be taken down. I also know that we have each and everything that we need to survive in Jesus. But in order to thrive, we have to take those giants down. We have to be ready to take our swords and to tackle those giants and bring them down. He has given us his spirit to slay giants. And whatever those giants are that standing, are standing in the way, today know that they will stop you from entering the promised land 
and God does not want you to not enter what he has already achieved for you. So we're going to take communion now. And um, as they're handing out the communion, I just want you to take a moment to really think about, you may have a whole list of giants in your life. There may be too many for you to even kind of isolate one. 